You're listening to DraftKings Network. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. Welcome to another South Beach session with what I believe is the most polarizing creature to ever exist in the Levitard and Friends universe. Don't go away. Don't go away. Come back. Don't go away. It's David Sampson. Uh, some of you hate him. I happen to love him. Some of you are very confused as to how this exists. So maybe we will, after this, have a better understanding of it. So at least if you hate him, you hate him for the right reasons. Because I believe I know him a little bit better than most. I'm always attracted to the unusual people. I think they're more interesting than the usual people, and you are as idiosyncratic and wonderfully weird as anyone I know. I don't judge these things, even though weirdness sounds judgmental. I when you have to say you don't judge, you're judging. That's how I take it, that you've always been that way with me. You, you introduce me. It's as though you have to defend me whenever we're doing anything. Whether we're doing something on the show, whether we're doing something privately, personally, I always feel like there's this cloak over you that requires you to say something explaining why we're together. That is so, because a lot of people don't understand it, and because you are somebody, they don't understand how it is I could love Miami the way that I do, and be friends with somebody who is the smiling face of corporate sports greed the way that you are. But we'll get into all of that as we go. Let me just start with this, though. What happened to you? What happened to you early in life? What happened to you to form someone who I believe is almost fundamentally immune to criticism and the opinions of others. What happened to me is I learned really early in my life that the only chance I would have was to prove people wrong because the preconceived notions that existed, whether I was short, which I, I've always been, it's not like I grew early and then stopped, which happens sometimes, people peak in elementary school, et cetera. But I always said that no matter what, I would work harder than everybody else and that I would be more straightforward and more direct and more caustic maybe. And I would revel in the fact that no one would ever punch me. They would just want to punch me. And to this day, I've never been punched. I've never thrown a punch. And I've always been able to talk my way out of everything. And what happened was that in order for me to find a voice when I was a kid, I had to be louder than everybody else. Because it's not that I grew up in a big family. 
I just grew up in a family where they weren't all that interested in what I had to say. And in school where I was ordinary, wasn't people weren't all that interested in what I had to say, so I had to talk louder. Were you picked on a lot? I was picked on because of my height. I was picked on because of my perceived wealth. I grew up very lucky. But the irony is it wasn't always that way. My real mom and dad had my birth mom and dad. I don't know why I say real, which seems strange. Uh, they had no money at all. And the first apartment I lived in in New York City, I was born in Milwaukee and only came to New York because of a divorce agreement. I was the first, my sister and I were the first people to be allowed to leave Wisconsin. It was an, a court case with a decision that if you go to New York with your mother, then you have to come back to Milwaukee every single school break. Everyone, when it's a one day break, like a long weekend or a summer break or Christmas break or Thanksgiving. So I spent my childhood from age six to age 15 on a plane every single vacation. I'm truly awed by your will. It's not just running seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. It's building a stadium on time and at budget when you were responsible for every single detail there. There was not a detail handled by someone else. Your will was formed early by having to be tough because you've have you been popular? Has there been a time where you have been accepted or felt accepted and loved by a group of people? I've always been ducky. That was my lot in life. I was always more friendly with the beautiful girls in my elementary school and high school and, and middle school. Didn't date any of them because they wouldn't date me. They loved the comfort of having me around. And so the boys hated me because I was with these girls and the girls loved me because I wasn't trying to be their boyfriend. And I only was able to escape that when I would be in Milwaukee, where I could be the New York kid in Milwaukee, where I could be the popular guy, the one who got the girl. So my life was formed when I had to play different characters depending on where I was or who I was with. And I was able to assess the situation really quickly, figure out what I had to do to succeed. And my definition of success has been the same since I was a kid. It, it, it sounds crazy to even say to you, survival. And I don't mean life and death. I mean my ability to actually thrive in an environment depended on me being able to exist in these environments where people would just ignore me or not want me to succeed. And that carried into baseball, actually. We have some similarities on these fronts, right? Your family doesn't understand why it is that you and I are friends. And basically, no one listening to this understands why it is I am friends with you. One of the most bizarre things about my adulthood is our relationship. It is the most misunderstood relationship of any one that I have. There is nobody in my life, including the people who should love me the most, who understand why I would allow myself to be in your orbit, why I would allow myself to be treated the way that they perceive that you treat me. And this goes back decades. And now the fact that I am nothing personal is parked at Metal Arc and I appear on the show, you have to remember that I wasn't allowed for three years to be on your show because I was told I'd be fired. That's how much the owner of the Marlins didn't want me to talk to you on or off the air. When you were seen at my child's bar mitzvah, 
I was asked why it is that you would be there. I left that child's bar mitzvah with a vastly different experience, which is me and my then girlfriend. As soon as we left, there were how many people there? Hundreds, 400, 500 people? 270 probably. Okay. As soon as we left, because you are on the dance floor and you seem to be enjoying yourself. And all I saw as soon as I left and all my then girlfriend saw as we left, we both commented on, oh my God, he must feel so lonely amid all of those people it didn't feel like any of them saw or understood the real you which i thought i'd only spent that was one of the first times that i spent around in in any sort of intimacy around the people ostensibly that i think care about you but don't necessarily understand you and i'm not sure how much some of them accept you just accept you as the unusual person you are I would take exception to unusual. I think that just because I'm different than you or, or, or see things differently or attack things differently doesn't make me unusual because in my mind, everything fits perfectly. Well, but I think that usually human beings feel feelings. And this is one of the things that makes you unusual that I, I think I see sometimes uh, the, the little kid that's protected by a whole lifetime of defense mechanisms, coping uh, trying to do translations on people who are forever going to misunderstand him. I spent a lot of time hiding in my life, hiding where there are, where, where there are shells going off around me, you know, incoming, the joke, right? Get under your desk. It's a, it could be a nuclear bomb. I spent so much time underneath my desk, which is interesting when I think about it, looking back, because I was always very outgoing and always tried to be gregarious, but it always, always was under the cover of loneliness. So it's not unique to my family and friends, and it's not unique to you, the feeling of loneliness, and, it, and that's why the insomnia that I have that is worth discussing at a later moment maybe, I don't necessarily feel lonelier at night than I do during the day. It's just that there's fewer people who I can share that with. So I'm able to share the loneliness or try to explain it to certain people in my life. And what I found with you is talking to you about how I feel. You had this interesting perspective that you actually understood it and I kept testing it. So I've always tested the hypothesis of you understanding like I do with my friends and family. I keep testing to see, do you love me? Do you understand me? Do you realize what I'm thinking right now? And you've passed the tests in so many ways and that is the problem that some of the audience has always had where they view what you do with me as some sort of affront to Miami or affront to who you represent. And it's really just been you trying to surround yourself with people who you find interesting. So sometimes I feel used by you, but generally you make me feel less lonely. Oh, but wait a minute though, because used by me for content purposes, you live in this world too. You enjoy the giving of content. You are at heart somebody who I believe would have chosen if uh, given all the paths, perhaps acting in, on a stage in front of others before you chose any other career path. So it's not like, uh, it's not like you don't crave some of the attention that comes with this. I do, and I've had to think about that in the last couple of years with nothing personal, what drives me to do it. And I'm okay with the fact that what drives me is ego. That's a big part of it. I like feeling relevant. I like feeling that people are paying attention. I don't need people to agree with me. I don't get off on that. 
I don't mind, but I don't give you an opinion ever in our personal or professional life that I don't actually believe in. These are, these are actually the way I feel. And the fact that people don't understand it is one thing. The fact that they don't want to give it oxygen, I've always found offensive. I don't understand and didn't know until right now that you were always testing our friendship. That's not something that I knew. I don't think of friendship as something that is perpetually tested. I'm testing everything. It's the reason I wasn't a good father or a good husband is that I spent my time always testing, thinking that anytime there's a fight, that means there's a divorce. My parents had a terrible, terrible divorce. My mother and stepfather had a terrible divorce. And uh, I, every time I had a fight with my now ex-wife, I just assumed that, okay, now you divorce. So I never really understood how to be a, a husband. I never had a lot of girlfriends because I was always the friend of all the girls. And so I never really knew how to do anything. And I tried to figure out how to do it. But now you put over the layer of being the president of a baseball team which is feeding an ego in an entirely different way, which is sapping all of the attention away from the family unit, away from the friends unit, and it puts you in this position where you're, you're it was like uh, the walls were always closing in on me. And I felt that, and what I would do is I spent my life holding the walls back and trying to scream loud enough to be heard. The Dan Lebitard Show with Stugatz is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Keeping things bottled up can feel like carrying a weight that gets heavier with time. Whether it's talking to a trusted friend, journaling, or seeking professional help, finding ways to let out your thoughts and feelings can bring relief and help you navigate challenges more effectively. Remember, it's okay to reach out for help when you need it. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com DLB today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash D-L-B. What's with the trust issues? You think that the roots of all of them are in the parental uh, dysfunctions or divisions? I don't want to say everything's my mother or everything's my father. We are who we are, and we are a victim of the circumstances, and we're a beneficiary of the circumstances. I'm a beneficiary of many things. If it weren't for my mother's second husband, I wouldn't have gotten But you don't trust, home. correct? You're, you're very reluctant to give your trust. Is it possible that I'm the one who's right and everybody else is wrong? Well, you act as if that's always the case. <laughs> so that is me attempting to verify. That's the example with you. If I believed everybody else, and it's unanimous. It's not like there's a split camp. It's unanimous that you are not someone who should be in my life or is a positive in my life to say nothing of working together. And what's the argument on the other side of that? That I give? You don't know him. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know us. It's the Cat Stevens song called Father and Son. I get all my feelings through songs and, and, and movies. And there's a line in there that about you can say what you want about your experience, but you don't know mine. And so they don't know you. They know the perception of you. No one, no one who says anything about you, this is where we're aligned. They've never spent five minutes with you. I have people after those bar mitzvahs who come and say, you know, Dan is such an ass. <laughs> I said, did you talk to him? Well, no, he wouldn't even talk to me. I said, did you try to talk to him? Well, no, he was unapproachable. 
And that rings very true to me because I view the people who don't know me having this opinion of me and it very much upsets me when the people who I think do know me share the same opinion. You and I have talked about and at great depth uh, a lot of different things. So just in adulthood, uh, I believe and I can recall being in the parking lot talking to you about your frustrations with life in general and your wanting to just run away, live off the grid. I tease you about wanting to be a shepherd somewhere just to get away from things and urging you very strongly again and again to get into therapy, to go talk about your feelings, to not go perform in therapy, which is what you did at the beginning. But what can you tell the people about those interactions and what it is that you learned about yourself in me sort of pushing you to you know test the limits of some of your coping mechanisms as part of the divorce of my parents I was put into therapy in maybe second or third grade and so I put therapy in the same bucket as Hebrew school it was something I had to do after school that I didn't want to do and I found immediately that the best way around it was to tell the therapist what she wanted to hear and I brought that forward with me uh, for many, many years until a conversation you and I had, and I can pinpoint it because it was one of our middle of the night conversations or what some people would say early morning conversations, when you asked me, what are the chances that you can sit with a therapist and, and not manipulate the conversation to the end where it's the result you want? Are you willing to dig in that hole to open that door? And I never had been before, and I had tried so many times with different therapists. And the best progress I ever made is when you're, you were in my ear like through an IFB saying, don't try to paint this picture of yourself so that you can get the reaction out of the therapist that you think would make you get out of here faster, would make you heal faster. Just actually say what you're thinking. And I was so out of practice because I'm always acting. And I, and I did it and, and then I stopped. And I haven't told you this and the reason I stopped too much, too close, too close to the bone, too it vulnerable? Got, it, got, it got way too close. And I realized that I was about what I calculated to be, I had a, uh, a cushion. I always viewed it as a five session cushion. I was always looking ahead five sessions. Sometimes I was going twice a week, sometimes once a week. When I was doing immersion therapy for some OCD things, I was going every day. And I, the five session rule is I need to see exactly what's happening over the next five sessions. And if I can't see it clearly, I'm running. And it got to the point where uh, I couldn't see it anymore. And that scared the absolute hell out of me, so I stopped. Is it about being unwilling to lose control or the illusion of control? Everything's control with me. Everything I do, everything I do in my life is about control because that allows me to be in environments where I can get to the predictable outcome. And I've already done the math of what the outcome is that I want. It's like negotiating a stadium deal. You give me credit, which is not founded. You give me credit for cutting the stadium deal in Miami as though I'm this smart guy. I'm not Pablo smart. I didn't go to Harvard. I'm smart only in that I can see around the corner in my business. Well, you were life. smart compared to the dumb people who run Miami. Uh, <laughs> and that's not saying much. So, what, so that's not how I'm gauging myself. And it's not that they were dumb. It's that I knew that they had different goals. If you can predict or know somebody's goals, you'll win every negotiation. Oh, but you're smart. I don't know how emotionally intelligent you are, but you are smart by the, the measurements that I would use to measure intellect. You've just got blind spots. 
So what I have, I think, is a good idea of what I know and what I don't know, and I'm not afraid to admit what I don't know. And so it hits me hard when you tell me that I'm saying something, and, it, and it's happened recently in our relationship, where you'll say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Why would you be saying that with such absolute force when you don't know? But you're an absolutist about this stuff. You don't do a lot of nuance. You do a lot of you do a lot of conviction and black and white. And gray is, uh, it, you know, the color of your jacket is not something that's usually draped on you. I'd like to say that I wore this jacket on purpose, but that would be an insult to my rotation. So no, I did not. But no, I am very much black and white because gray doesn't get me to a result. How can we be? How can we live in gray right. and make progress? But let's do this though. You say it doesn't get you to a result, but isn't the result supposed to be happiness? And through therapy, I recall distinctly, and I don't know whether the audience will be shocked by this, but even knowing you, I was shocked by it. After you went to therapy, I will not forget this phone call because it made me laugh, and it would sort of explain to people the difference between smart and then some emotional intelligence stuff. You were coming from a funeral and you called me excited. I felt something. I felt sad. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's what people feel at funerals. And it seemed to be like a foreign concept to you. This is why I say you're you're unusual. I think most people would describe that as unusual. And it wasn't even somebody you were that close to. It was just a funeral. <laughs> This is someone whose funeral I would not go to today, but at the time in my life, I went to it, and he was a dear man. I've always found myself wanting to be around older people, to, like a grandfather-type presence. And the reason I called you, I can't believe this. I mean, it's because I couldn't believe that that happened, though. David, like, even understanding how unusual you can be, I'm like, yeah, funerals are sad. It's like, it's basically what they are. I have not cried since my sister and father's funeral, which were both recent, and I hate myself for it. And I hate myself because I know the reaction I had at this man's funeral. And this is a man who wasn't my grandfather, wasn't in my family, and I thought, this is an emotion I'm feeling, and now I'm about to call Dan because, and this is a story I'll tell, which is, I love that this was in your head, the people who think that we don't belong together or that you're not good for me or I'm not good for you don't realize who my first call would be when I'm having a moment in my head that's either based on intellect or based on emotion or I'm experiencing something. And I want to make sure I want to test it. And you're my favorite person to test with because of all of your issues and all the things you've gone through in your life where people think that Cubans and Jews are so far apart and we both agree how similar they are. You're my favorite bounce subject because you are going to give me a frame of reference to make sure that I'm getting to the conclusion that I expected to get to. That's why I called you that day. But what is happening there that in that instance, you were more open to vulnerability, you were hiding less in general, and the scary stuff that you didn't want to look at, for whatever reason, you were pulling the drapes open slightly and an emotion reached you. The emotion that reached me was the possibility of emotion. That's, that's what reached me. Wait a minute, I can tap this? There's an opportunity for me to feel something where I don't have to be made of wires, where I can actually just play that as a character on TV. And in my regular life, maybe I can be a better father. Maybe I can be a better husband, a better boyfriend. Maybe I can be a better person. And it's not that I'm a bad person in, in, in the way you measure good or bad people. 
It's that people can't relate to what I'm thinking or where I'm trying to get to. But that sounds cold and sad. You hear it, right? No, to me, it just sounds true. So it doesn't, the things that you tell me sound cold. My governor doesn't say that they're cold, which is calling back to why I call you. Because I don't have a governor, and I'm aware of that, and that's why I try to reach you. Why run away from it, though, when we talk about, you say you're result-oriented, and I will tell the people, you do extraordinarily kind, big, charitable things for others. Uh, and small. It's not, and when the cameras are off. Yes. And now I'm saying it when the cameras okay, are well, on. Okay, well, I was saying it for you, and you couldn't help yourself. No, I just, and it's one of the many reasons you're unlikable. It, you're publicly unlikable, but I'm saying it on your behalf that it's much better if I say it for you. You do extraordinary. I'll say it better, though. You are giving. You are Well, you can tell them more, certainly. You're more familiar with all of the things that you do. But when I look at your overall happiness, you're happier now than I've ever seen you, but I don't know that I would necessarily describe you as happy. And if we're talking about control and results, you're in your 50s and happy is pretty important. So I have a small problem. And the problem is that I had a window that I thought it was the window to be happy. And I knew that as I got into my middle to late 50s, that that window was going to start closing because of all the mortality issues that I have. And what I'm finding myself now, and it's not, I'm, I've been surrounded by so much death recently, and I'm no longer in the dugout. I'm no longer on deck. I'm at the plate. I'm at the plate of death. And I'm not sick. I don't have a disease. But we're all dying. But I have something in my head, the permanence of it, the, the suffering, the loneliness of it is so overwhelming to me that my window where I wanted to be in a position where I had that full happiness that I could then ride out for the rest of my life, I feel as though I've missed that window. And You've that's given up on the idea of hope? So I don't want to tell you that I'm despondent beyond repair. I want to tell you that I had a plan in my mind by which time I had to achieve what I viewed as happiness. <laughs> it's just and ridiculous. Your plan, it. but what? <laughs> you're, you're making it. You're making me sound like a failure. No, and, it's and no, it, it's I just you are a perpetual planner. You are unbelievably organized. You are relentlessly meticulous. But those things have not resulted in happiness. And now you're telling me, and this is, I believe, hope is eternal. You can always get there. You've done more work on yourself in the last 10 years than I, than I or you ever thought you were going to do. And you've done some things, including get divorced and go through the horrors of that while going to funerals for your, for your sister, for your mother. Like, I understand why this is arriving now, but... I wouldn't give up on happy. I never give up on it because I'm too selfish to do it. I'm just aware that I had a window. When you say I'm very organized, I am. And when I pictured where I would be, what I'd be doing at 55, it wasn't necessarily this part of my self-awareness campaign. I expected it to be further along. And it got derailed a little by the sale of the team. It got derailed a little by my divorce. It got derailed a little bit by what happened with the relationship with my children that was terrible for a, a large number of years, which my therapist told me was going to happen, and I walked right into it. 
my blindness about doing something where the result is not what I think, but what someone tells me is going to be the result, and then it's proven to be right, that they're right and I'm wrong, that is so troublesome to me that it stuns me and my stubbornness doesn't let me adjust. So I expected where in my mid-50s to not have to be dealing with certain things that I'm dealing with currently. And I still am dealing with them. And that gives me pause for concern. People should also know that you helped me get to happier than I've ever been because you were legitimately the only person in my world and I would not have gotten to Valerie, the love of my life, and really eye-opening experiences when it came to joy and bliss that I didn't think I'd be capable of feeling. If you hadn't been the one friend that I had in the previous relationship with Valor before Valerie that I thought was going to be as close as I ever got to eternal ever deserved to eternal love, uh, you were very firm in a way that I remember still deeply uncomfortable for me, just telling me to my face in a variety of different ways that the ways I was articulating to you that I was feeling that I had to get out of that relationship. I recognized them. It was easy for me and I wasn't able to follow my own advice because I wasn't able to see it for myself. But with you, you're talking about, and I remember that series of conversations, and here's what was interesting to me, is that every time we would talk, and we do talk even to this day when we're together, whether working together or off the court or on the court, I still have the people on my shoulders saying, what's real, what's not real, is this a positive relationship or a negative relationship? That was a moment when talking about your inability to make a decision, really you were dithering in a way that was causing you so much pain. And unfair to her far more unfair to you and i one of the results was it was unfair to her but you were suffering and you were suffering because you had so many people in your life telling you that what was in your gut was wrong and i was telling you not only is it right but you're right to feel it and i'm going to give you the space to be with you on the island and you chose to be okay with that where normal people other people don't want to be aligned with just me against everyone else because the assumption is I'm wrong. But you were willing to take the leap and say, wow, I feel the way he's describing. I'm going to act on it. And you did act on it. And look where you are now. Oh my gosh. Folks, gather around. Everyone gather around. Listen to these words. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers, listen to me. You bet just five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code DAN. That's code DAN for new customers. And you get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. That's insane. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Have I failed any of these tests that you're pres- you were always putting in front of me that I did not know you were putting in front of me? Yes. 
the tests that you fail are when you don't recognize if you you've had to tell me 11 times minimum when you need something reach out call me and you you don't call back very well you don't retext very well and you expect me to sound the fire alarm so i can differentiate to you what is reaching out for bs and what's reaching out for I need help right now acutely. And that's not how love should be. My perception of what love should be. You should be more able to know that if I'm reaching out, I'm not calling to tell you the sky's blue. But you have so many distractions in your life that you lock me in with the people who are bothering you about something or another thing. And that's a failure for me because you don't know me well enough to know that I'm not going to bother you unless it matters. Even if I communicate to you, as I have a number of times, I need you to tell me if this is an urgent need of some sort. It can't be. I don't want to tell you that. You floating up. Well, what do you mean I'm you not don't want to tell me that? I'm not going to tell you to say, hey, did you see the heat game last but night? But if you understand that this is how I am, and if the basis of love is acceptance and understanding, if you understand this is how I am, and I'm communicating to you, hey, I need you to tell me when it's important or not because I'm consumed with a bunch of different things, priorities that are overwhelming that have to do with family stuff and work stuff and building a business. If I'm requesting of you and communicating out loud, I need you to tell me when you actually really, I need you to sound the alarm. I know this. I know that you're surrounded by chaos. And you know that I know that. You know that I know that you have all these distractions and all these things that make you so tired at the end of a week that you're barely functioning. So if you know that I know that, then why would I reach out? Because I'm telling you to, and because I can't do the discernment on my end on calamities between you have this issue that you think is big that I might think is small versus an issue that is actually big that I would agree with you is big. So you're saying that I have sounded the fire alarm and you've hung up the phone and said, I cannot believe that I just spoke to Samson no, right now. No, no, it's just I can't discern based on text the the how high the volume is on the sirens. I can't tell just because you're reaching out. It's I never call you. I, but and, it's, it's not text. But you don't I leave a just, message. You don't you don't just call me when you have some sort Levitard of problem. Is Samson, could you give me a call, please? How is that not clear? How would you like me to do a voicemail going forward? Would you like so me to lay every out time, the issue? So you're telling me that every time you've ever called me, it's because you have some sort of issue that must be addressed? I will give you, whether it's short, mid, or long term, I will always present that to you. I am calling about plans we have two weeks from Saturday. Well, but this no is a, no, but this is a different thing. I it, will tell you those things. When I'm calling you and then I'm reaching out again after you don't respond, there's got to be a reason. You, this started with you saying, do I fail a test? Why can't you just acknowledge that you fail a test? Uh, fair enough, but you're the one doing the grades on the test. And, and, <laughs> yes. and I have a different grading system than you do. You're not on, allowed to grade your own test. On return texts and return phone calls, because it's not something that I'm good at. I meant, I thought of it as a more meaningful breach than that. When you've got, I'm guessing that when your family is telling you don't be with that person, it's not because they're saying he doesn't return your text promptly. No, no the assumption always with, with both people I've worked with and people in my family and, and friends is that you actually have no care in the world for me and that you just pretend to in order to increase your content or get content or to make headlines. 
And I've explained to them numerous times that, no, the headlines that I make with you, I know that I'm making before I make them. I don't stand up on a stage at Moss Miami and blindly do something. I don't do something when we're, whatever, whatever it is we're doing, I'm completely aware of what it is and I'm comfortable with it. And I've signed off internally on what it is. And yet the people around you think that I am a master marionette and that you are a tiny puppet, that I'm the only person in the world who can actually manipulate you into doing things you don't want to do. And I do believe that size matters in this case. And, and I've thought about this. You are a much bigger man than I am, and I'm a very small guy. And when we're together, I've noticed this in restaurants. I've noticed this at games. There is this, we look like the odd couple. And there are people who have that image that I am your marionette. And I've always been insulted by that. And it's made me feel even lonelier because they're so wrong. It's the opposite. We are neither. You're not mine and I'm not yours. I couldn't get you to do a single not thing that you thing. didn't want to do. Not one thing. Not one thing, whether it's in your professional life, in your personal life. I couldn't life. trick you into it. I couldn't do it with a masterminded, manipulated agenda. But no one believes you, and no one believes me. And, I'm not, and I don't fight it anymore because it doesn't matter to me anymore. That was the whole issue with Metal Arc. One of the great causes of my frustration and anger and upset over these last couple of years is the process by which I was welcomed into this show and into this world because you had to, again, defend it, and you didn't want to. You were upset that you had to talk about it and that you didn't want to thrust me on anyone, and, David, you're screwing it up every time, and it just, you don't realize how hurtful that was. That I think I, I, don't, I might not realize how hurtful it was uh, because I can't possibly know what it is to hurt uh, that way. But I know what I was fighting for and I wanted it to be easier, but I had to, I do have to explain to people what this is. I feel the need to explain to people what this is because, uh, my audience is, I would say in this medium, uniquely loyal. They have expectations for me. And so then if, why don't they trust you? If they're loyal to you, doesn't oh, that it's mean not, they trust it's your not, decisions? Well, wait a minute though. When the immovable, <laughs> Where I would stop you is they do trust me right up until they run up against somebody who is so untrustworthy that the untrustworthiness is larger, the in, larger in size than whatever the trust was. Have you ever had someone like that before? No. I can't even believe that that's the role I play, that I'm testing the loyalty of your audience, the most loyal audience I've ever seen. David, this week... You saw it all over the place. You are hugely polarizing. I would venture to guess that not only outside of this company does no one understand this relationship, I would say that inside of this company, zero people understand this relationship. Not one person understands it, zero people. There's now one person. You believe that? Who's that There's person? There's now one person, Pablo. Who? Pablo understands this relationship. I've spent a lot of time with Pablo, and we've spent a lot of time talking about this company, about you, about us, and we have formed a relationship. You introduced us at a dinner many, many, many years ago, and we started a conversation. And it's always very tricky to me when one friend introduces one friend to another friend, you start off with a group text, and then you go to a side text, and it's always tricky. Is it okay to do the side texting and to grow a friendship? And we both felt blessed by you. Please form this relationship, and we have. And he's uniquely positioned to understand it. But again, that hurts me too. Because the people who I've been around, who have been around you for all these years, who still don't, 
that means that there is such a problem with how I'm communicating or how people are perceiving me that I've made no progress at all. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, I remember you being dumbfounded one time because we were having a conversation that had a great deal of vulnerability in it and you asked me some form, probably because you were testing something, you asked me some form of, do you talk this way to other people? And I'm like, yeah, I got like 20 relationships like this. Those are my friends, that's my inner circle. And you were like, what? How can you do that with 20 people or whatever whatever your friendship base is and i would say that one of the things that the producers of this iteration of south beach session have encouraged me to do is to have the conversations that i have privately with some of uh, my most intimate relationships to have them publicly because uh, people could get to see a, a broader version of humanity, of people, flaws and all, idiosyncrasies and all. I want to do one of these with Dan Patrick because I don't believe that people have seen what he pushes down under Irish athleticism and masculinity. Uh, you don't have that with others? How did this work for this, this show? I didn't exactly get a lot of warning about this. Was this an issue within your circle here at Metal Arc that we can't have Samson have people know that you and Dan, we've always kept it quiet that we were friends because you were always so embarrassed to be friends with me. I don't, that's I don't exactly think, no, what it is. No, no, no. You just get tired of defending it's, it. So it's, you're that's it. No, it's no. I'm not embarrassed of my, I wouldn't be doing any of this, David, if I was embarrassed of my friendship with you. I wouldn't be climbing over some of the things that I identify as, which is proud Miamian and everything else, a protector of Miami sports if I didn't believe in what our relationship is. But I do get tired of, at every turn, having to explain to people why this exists, because they expect something else from me based on what the perception of you is. They can't, they, they can't get their head around the idea of why would Dan welcome into his warm little family world this person who fucked Miami. And the answer is because of the content fountain. And oh, therefore, that is exactly what people in my orbit expect you to say, which helps build the narrative that this is all BS. But it's not just content fountain, because I would say just like I have helped you in your life, you know, and have had intimate access to the struggles I have had over the last three years uh, with just family stuff and work stuff and how overwhelming all of this has been. This is a responsibility. And so as I've helped you, I would say that the reason that you're here now is because you're rushing to help me someone you care about yes it serves you as well but you like pablo have rushed into the breach because you're like dan needs help dan hasn't often needed help with work dan has been a lone wolf dan has been uh, responsible for dan and then things grow around it but you have i mean why are you here one of the issues is that the way pablo was accepted versus the way i was accepted and Pablo and I spoke about that, and the reason that we wanted to speak about it is that I wanted to let Pablo know that I was okay. Because Pablo recognized, he paid attention these last couple well, weeks. Well, I, I, I assume that, that all of that would hurt you. And I would also assume, though, that because, nothing personal, 
that you would also come to understand it and accept that the hurt was something that was temporary, that sometimes things hurt in order to grow. I want to believe it's temporary, but I also have no illusions that there's people within your universe, within the shipping container, who have a view of me that is not going to change. And it's this preconceived notion they have, this is the most time I've spent with everybody outside of you these past couple of weeks. And I know my perception of how I think it went, but I don't know theirs because people don't tell me the truth. Oh, but David, but also Pablo is self-aware and you are not. You are not self-aware about how you come off. Why can't I tell you that I am self-aware, but I have a different vantage point of what it is that's happening? That doesn't make me not self-aware just because I interpret something differently. It doesn't make me wrong and everybody around you right. That's the 99 to 1. This is what happens with my girlfriend all the time. You know her, Kara. She says to me, you know, this is 99 to 1, the way you're reacting to this. And I said, no, no, I'm going to test you on this, and we'll call people. You've been the recipient of a call where I say, what happens in a situation where X and Y, do you respond with Z or B? And you'll say, what are you talking about? And I'll say, well, it's obvious. And she'll be right, and I'll be wrong. It's incredibly frustrating, and that's what's happened here the last two weeks. Well, explain to me that I didn't know what's happened to you the last two weeks. What's, explain this to me. I sit in the ulcer being lonely because I can't figure out why, why this, you've had to thrust me. I've never had to be anything other than thrusted. That's how it was. Jeffrey thrusted me into the job of president of a baseball team when I was a young guy. Always thrusted, always having to prove myself way more than anybody else, but thinking that I'd finally outgrown that. And that I'd proven enough with nothing personal, with my career, that you wouldn't need to thrust me. But all you did was call me for over a year complaining that you're screwing it up because I have to thrust you in. I need the help. I want you to help. I think you can be helpful. But nobody wants you. DraftKings, the people in the container, Skipper, Bimmel, nobody. They won't even take my call about it. How do, how do you expect me to react to that? Immunity? I react to it as the person who I thought knew me, who I thought could be my proxy and could explain the benefits of this working relationship, both from the business side and the content side, often on camera. My loyal audience. Why do you assume that I wasn't making these arguments? Because do you lose all the time? I've never seen you lose. I run this company very loosely. Have you not seen what a zoo it is? That's because you don't care about the things that make it a zoo. Wait, are you saying that you're putting me in the category of lunch? I am saying to you this that is getting worse. Actually. I was making all of the arguments on your behalf, and the resistance was really strong. But you know better than they do why you were doing it. Okay, and you're here now. We ended up getting <laughs> and, and here. And you introduced me in the most hackneyed way. It, you fumbled it. You wouldn't even take a call to prep how you were going to onboard it. And on the air, it was I horrific. like these things loose. But loose doesn't have to be incompetent. Loose is supposed to be compelling. You think the way that I introduced you here was hackneyed and incompetent? What did you want it to be? Show me, show me how that should have looked. What, how would you have done it if you were me to introduce David Sampson to an audience that is uh, it's a portion of the audience that is really resistant to the idea of David Sampson? I think it's almost time for you to realize that the way to build a billion-dollar company is not based on just having a Miami audience. And you continued, I understand your loyalty to Miami. You're, you may be a Miami-based company, 
But that is not how we're adding value to the Metal Arc. It's a national, international brand. People outside of Miami don't care about the Marlins or about what I did or a stadium. Here's how I would have thought you would have introduced me. Finally, David Sampson is here and he's not going anywhere. And you are going to learn to appreciate him, love him as I do, because you're going to find that your job is made easier by his presence. The audience will find it interesting what he has to say. And I wanted to make sure that nothing personal, as well as the things that we do together on this show, were all housed under the same umbrella because it's something that we have talked about forever. And today is the day it starts. You got to earn that from the audience. It's not going to be because I'm going to sell it to the audience in my voice. You're going to have to do every day is sell to the audience. That's correct. And look, you're more likable than you've ever been in your life. The way I've done it, not the way you've done it, the way that I've done it. You have more support nationally from our audience than you've ever had. You have more popularity at that microphone than you have ever had. And do you think it's just because that you've been mean and bullying to me or no. because I've earned it by the, by what I've done yes. over the last number of years? You've got to earn it. I'm not going to give it to you publicly by saying, here's David Sampson, everybody, except David Sampson. Pablo. You pin. I don't. You made this hey, a I don't handle article. our social media account. I didn't. Your pin social media any is tweet. fantastic, and 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 the whole thing with Juju, who I appreciate more than more than most. But you clearly onboarded Pablo. Pablo and I laughed about this. Pablo called to make sure I was okay because it was so clumsy and made him look so good and easy. And with me, it was so ridiculous. David. I did not I can't structure or organize the way that Pablo was introduced. Why do you think that I had anything to do with how that was? Why do you think you're that neutering yourself by every word you say? You're in charge. David, you're in charge is different than my in charge. You're in charge is corporate asshole who overruns an empire and does a lot of things that people don't like. I pick and choose my spots on what I'm going to do on things that others aren't going to like. I'm going to do it over things that I believe in. I believe in you, and I've onboarded you the way that I wanted to onboard you. In the most hurtful way possible. I mean, just laissez-faire. Laissez-faire. <laughs> the most hurtful way possible for a man who's almost fundamentally incapable of being hurt. I'm growing. I'm trying to feel pain. I'm trying to feel anything. And what you did to me over the last couple of weeks, I found interesting that that was your approach. But I respect you professionally. I respect what we're trying to build. I respect the help you You've need. You've been hurt by my behavior the last couple of weeks. You've been legitimately hurt. Because it's the culmination of the last since you started Metal Arc. This is the culmination for me of since I was with you when you were leaving ESPN. When we were talking about what it would look like and what it would be, and it was always going to be us working together. And then it stalled and stalled and stalled for years. For I, years. I've still got three people I want to hire that are still out there. Three people that I want to hire because of difficulties in constructing the scaffolding because I'm not the one in charge of the money. Do you know why I didn't tell you how hurt I've been this entire past couple years? Because when I tell you something about myself, I want you to help fix it. That's the test. That's the relationship. 
but there was nothing you could do because this was the plan you had. This is the comfort you had in bringing me on board. The whole operation thrust was that you had to make sure that you got some sort of buy-in at some point. And the reason I never came but to David, you David, I'm working you with now, I'm working with others, David. I'm working with other people. I have You're the boss. Yes, but I'm working with others. I'm the boss of those people as well. I'm like I've got to You're consider the boss of everybody. But I've got to consider multiple feelings and if I'm getting what I do, the way that I run things is and I've done this for better or worse. I've done this for 20 years, man. Stugatz was in charge of our negotiations once. It was laughably funny what ended up happening with me ending up with a non-compete and him getting $100,000 less than where we started because he botched those negotiations. Before that, I gave the negotiations over our executive producer. I don't like being the boss. I don't like it. I don't want the responsibility of it. I've chosen it now because we were forced into that position. And even in so doing, I threw it over my shoulder and expected John Skipper to handle the unpleasant things that come with bossness because it's not something I've ever wanted. And is that going the way you planned? Well, you're here, David. Like- okay, so so that so there it is. So I I will make a commitment to you that I will feel less hurt and I will stop testing you professionally and personally if you will commit to me that you will be more open to the possibility that as the boss there may be times when you have to do things that make you uncomfortable. But David, you're here at least in part because I want you to do those uncomfortable things. I want other people who are comfortable with boss things, business things, I want them to handle it so I can concentrate on the one thing that I'm good at, which is being at this microphone and doing this job. But when you're making fun of me and you're bullying me, you are not making it seem as though to everybody else in the company that I have that position. What, what you're doing is you are putting me down so much. You're making me even smaller than I am physically. Therefore, why would anyone ever react to anything that I'm doing? David. When they don't think that I have any say in anything. David, why do you think, explain to me why you think people are rushing to your side to defend you against me and the way people are behaving with you. You have never had this level of support After what happened with the Expos and what happened with the Marlins, you have never had the backing and the applause that you have now. You can be responsible for some of that, but some of that is specifically because of the way I've been handling it, even though you think it's hackneyed. Are you telling me that this was all planned? I'm telling you that in in the way that I have presented you, which is the way that I chose to present you, that is also defensive because people don't understand our relationship and I haven't had the ability to do this this way in this form before. I believe that you have more support than you ever have had. No, you said that three times. I'm asking you a separate question. But did is it untrue? It? Is it untrue what I, I'm saying? I'm asking you, did you do this purposefully? Did, have you did every? Have you done everything you've done with the entire process of me joining Metal Arc? Was all this done because you wanted to have more people like me? David, I want you to be more likable. Yes, I want you to have some support. I want people to understand. Everyone, there is no one, David, no one in the history of our program who has come here, spent an amount of time being themselves, and doesn't get more likable because we allow people to see more parts of their personality. It's it is a fail-proof formula, and it wins 
all the time based on environment. This is, uh, I'm not going to say that I'm a brilliant mastermind genius. That sounds like you're a marionette right now. No, all I do is create environments where people can be themselves, maximum themselves. I didn't need you to be myself. You needed it in this environment to bounce off of the things so that you could get more support. Is that in dispute? Like, I... Are you arguing What's with... What's the dispute is how Machiavellian you're making it sound. And I we've never talked about it, so I was not aware that that has been what your plan has been this whole time. No, but you're making... But then you said it was laissez-faire, and it just didn't no, happen. I'm just being myself, you're... David, and the result of being myself in this environment is that for everybody. Like... I let everyone be themselves as a laissez-faire boss because I want to do it that way, and that's the net result. You keep talking about be, you are so different than me in this regard. Okay, you and I have a thousand different uh, differences. You laugh at a million things. I am because I don't have my attire picked out for the day. You don't understand why I don't have clothes to change into here at the hotel. You don't understand why I miss flights. You don't understand. My guess is How that you tell me to buy Broadway tickets for a day when you have the wrong day that you're going to be in New. York? You mean like that? Yes, that. You are constantly frustrated by the things that I am, like a million different things that I am that you can't possibly understand. And one of them is being almost the opposite of a boss the way you would be a boss. That's one of them. I'm not built like you and Skipper. I'm not a glass chewer. I am a mean will tell you when I got my head in my hands because I'm dealing with things I don't want to be dealing with. He'll leave the room mumbling. There he is, the reluctant conqueror. I don't like some of that stuff. It's not interesting to me. That's why you're here. But I can't do it Unless you let people know that's the point of it, where I can be both on camera, on the microphone, off camera, off the microphone, and know that I have everybody's best interest in mind. I'm not here to make life more difficult for the people who work with you who have been here through all the ups and downs for 20 years. I'm here to make them more money, which is, at the end of the day, what they want. Whether they admit it to you or not, it's what they want. Everybody wants to work less and make more. You're not winning if everyone hates you and you hate yourself. This will happen over time. People will get to know you better, and I'm not the person. You're here, David. You're here, and you're here, at least in part, because you love me. I don't know where it is on the, on the pie chart. You're here, at least in part, because you know I need help in this regard. You're here, at least in part, because you know I'm bad at these things. So I the didn't know. In the beginning, it actually a couple of years ago when we first talked about it, it was because I thought it would be best for me because I was just starting nothing personal and just growing it. But it's now grown to the point where when the negotiations and when you were, when it was such a struggle to get a deal done to be here, uh, and when you were talking to me very, very confidentially about what's going on at Metalark, it changed for me. And what changed for me is that I wanted to help you because that's how much I love you and that's how much I care about you and sincerely, care about you when i see your head in your hands whether it's during a segment whether it's during a meeting when i see your exhaustion when i see that we have to decide whether we're going to record something according to how tired is he or i have to call valerie to say is he sleeping or we have to go out to dinner with valerie and karen you're asleep at the table asleep at the table which this is not an exaggeration do you remember being asleep at a damn table I don't remember being asleep. I remember being so tired and so drained and and uh, feeling like I couldn't, couldn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. That's why I'm here. I want to be that for you. And I know I can because I've done it. And it did not help your cause. Forget mine. 
it didn't help yours what went on here the last couple of weeks, even though you're saying you're more likable now. This is amazing for you, David. Don't you feel so good to be liked because people are feeling sorry for the bully? That's my childhood. All you're doing well, is repeating I, I, the I, patterns I, that I've been trying to get away from my entire I life. Gotta which be is, honest. Let's feel sorry for this guy because he's being bullied. I got to be honest. I am learning for the first time. You've kept from me your level of hurt. And I misidentified. I owe you an apology because I misidentified. You were covered in so much armor that I really didn't think that there was anything here that could hurt like that, given that you knew and know that I wanted you here period, and that you are here. I did not know. I you know you. it's not how the people feel. This was really just about me and you. This is not about how I'm perceived by the people you work with or by the shipping container. This is not about Skipper, not about Bimmel. This was about, I viewed this as the biggest failed test in our relationship ever. And I couldn't believe that it was happening the way it was happening. And then it just kept failing. And I didn't know what to do. So I just kept going. And now that you're here... It still doesn't feel like success? I don't feel great. I'm getting on a plane and I'm, and I'm going back to New York. I can't say that I feel, wow, what a, this was a great couple weeks. Really? No, I have a terrible tummy ache. Terrible. You enjoy doing this though. That is what we're doing when the red light is on. I'm talking about us. Of course I have a good feeling about what we did on a show and what we do for content. I feel worse about us Is that right? flying home than I've ever felt. And I expected when I joined that I would feel better about us. But I feel more distant from you than I felt. And I don't want I'm our relationship sorry. to be I... colored by the fact that we work together now. And it's almost, I'm, I'm the one who you would come to and say, I'm not, take, I'm not taking business calls. From Thursday to Sunday, I'm not taking business calls. But we talk at three in the morning. And now you're going to see my name on the phone. And you're going to have the same Pavlovian response, which is, Christ, Samson, something Metal Ark related. I'm legitimately surprised by this. I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate your candor. And I will genuinely apologize for my blind spot there because I had no idea that this – I was frustrated by it, but I had no idea that this was hurting you that way and that it continued to hurt you over the last couple of weeks. I thought you were enjoying the last couple of weeks. But I'm not going to bother you with it. Because of you the, just the, did. You just right. bothered me in a way that's hugely embarrassing to me because now it is I'm telling you that I love you publicly, that you're a part of the show, and then now you're telling me that I'm a failure and that I've hurt your feelings, feelings I didn't even know you have. That's the summary. That's what you're taking away. I what what do you want me to tell you? Beyond I'm sorry. Like you're I didn't ask for an apology. I'm a big boy. I have my big boy pants on. I just said that I threw a test out there because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to be this way. And then it exactly happened the way I thought it could happen. And I'm going to keep, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to be the one to abandon you and you're not going to be the one to abandon me. Too much abandonment, too many issues. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. But I am going to recognize that my position here, which I thought would be couched differently or would grow differently is off to a start where I have to reposition it. That's on one side. And then my relationship with you, which has always trended in one direction. It's always been growing in my mind. It's always been expanding and growing. I felt that it got stunted 
and it's been stunted the re- the last several weeks. And I'm going to, to file as I do as a rationalization with everything that's been happening around here. I'm going to say that there is always growth on the other side of pain. Uh, thank you for being as honest as you were, and welcome. Thank you for being a part of Metal Mark. That's a welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, even though I've hurt your feelings. Again, I will say it. Feelings that no one in our audience knew that you had. Ladies and gentlemen, David Sampson, the smiling face of corporate sports greed. Uh, welcome to the family. Love you. <laughs> Love you, too.